Glad that you guys are here. Welcome. If you're uh, new or visiting, glad that you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Stephen Obert. I'm one of the pastors, elders here at Disciples Church. Um, I sometimes get to fill in for Pastor Joshua so he can have some uh, respite, some break. Uh, and so it really is my joy, my honor to be here with you this morning. Um, two weeks ago at our youth summer camp, uh, I got to teach on John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. It was uh, truly a blessing for me to prepare for this lesson. And um, as these truths kind of hit me uh, in so many different ways, I just knew that I would be preaching this Sunday as planned and that I wanted to um, bring this truth and bring this passage to you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, will you open them up to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14. Uh, We'll do a little bit of moving around, but primarily we're going to stay right in that spot. And uh, our focus for this morning is going to be John 14, verse 6. Um, If you have been around for a while and you've heard me teach, then you likely know that Charles Spurgeon is my favorite preacher of old. Um, There's so much of his content online. If you're ever looking for something to read, something to uh, dig into, you will be blessed to dig into his sermons, his writings. Um, They're so good. So uh, that being said, when I was preparing for this lesson for the youth, of course, I went to Charles Spurgeon and I read through his sermon on John 14, 6, and it it really was such a, uh, a rich time of study for me. And so In this sermon this morning, I'm going to quote from him a few times. I'm going to begin the sermon with the way he began his, and it's a bit of a longer quote, but uh, follow along and you'll see why it's so good. There are many men in this world who so far from coming to God are going as far as they can from him. Nothing would delight such men so much as to be clean rid of his presence and to be entirely escaped from the bounds of his dominions. They would be content to make their bed in hell if they could thus find a satisfactory answer to the question, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Their hearts are at enmity with God. They hate his words and his ways. They know that God is angry with them and they in return are angry with God. There is another class who are but very little in advance of these. It cannot be said of them with the same emphatic meaning that they actually hate God, but nevertheless they run from him. Perhaps they would indignantly repel a charge of abhorring God, but nevertheless it is true of them that they live in utter disregard of him. They say in their hearts, no God. God is not in all their thoughts. They may have a sublime thoughts of nature, but few yearnings after him who made nature. They may think much of time and sense and of the things that are below, but as to eternity and its substantial realities, the things that are unseen and everlasting, these they scarce can think upon. Beware you that forget God, for your state is no better than the state of those first described. The wicked shall be turned into hell. Those who hate God shall feel his torment But so shall their companions, for thus runs the text. The wicked shall be cast into hell with all the nations that forget God. 
It is not needful that you should hate God, that you should go to war with Him in order to destroy yourself. The simple neglect of Him is enough to ruin you. Thus has the Apostle put it, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You need not fly upon the thick bosses of Jehovah's buckler. You need not rush upon the point of His glittering spear. Stand still and do nothing. Regard Him not. Shut your eyes to his existence and engross yourself with the corrupt toys of earth, and you have as surely destroyed yourselves as if you had defied him to his face. Neglect of God is the open gate of damnation. To forget God is to ensure a portion in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. There is to be found, however, upon the face of the earth, a third class of men who would not like to be classed among the enemies of God, and who can truly say they are not utterly indifferent with regard to his favor. They would prefer to be numbered with those who are seeking God. Their desire is to go to their Father. They may not as yet perhaps be brought to that only way at coming which he has ordained, but still their profession is that they desire to worship God and to come before him with thanksgiving and to show themselves glad in him. No man desire he never so earnestly, labor he never so diligently, no man comes unto the Father but by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your commandment that we not neglect the gathering of the saints, because it, is, because it is such a sweet, sweet gift to gather with your blood-bought people, to worship you in song and in the hearing of your word and in praying together, to think deeply about all of the wonderful things that you have done, the mercy so great, so undeserved that you have lavished upon us in Christ, all of your promises being made certain in Christ. I pray, Lord, that our our time together this morning, our our thoughts would be focused on you, that you would use your word, that you would use this preaching to help us to grow, to learn, to understand better, to love you more. We are so thankful, Lord, for all that you have done, and most of all for your Son, without which we would have no hope. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen. We have a a bit of context to set up for our time this morning, and for that I'm going to back us up into John chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 31 through 38. So if you have your Bibles out, it should be right there near John chapter 14. John 31 through 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. The setting for the interaction between Jesus and his disciples is taking place on the very night that Jesus was betrayed. They had just partook of the Last Supper. The disciple who would betray Jesus has just left the presence of the disciples in Jesus. And so Jesus is speaking here to his faithful disciples. In this conversation, he lays out what is about to take place. And it's quite helpful to remember these men have devoted the last three years or more-ish, right, to quite literally living with Jesus, learning from Jesus, following Jesus everywhere he went, where Jesus went, these men went, and seeing Jesus perform miracles most likely every day. Now imagine, if you would, their concern, their fear, when their leader says he's going away. Their confidence, their boldness was in Christ, and rightly so. But now Christ is leaving. Can you imagine the weight? Not only that, the one who maybe is second in command is going to deny Christ that very night. And the disciples are there when they hear that. Jesus declares that he is going away and that the disciples cannot come. He then prophesies to Peter of his denying Christ and of Peter's future death. We see that confirmed again later in John's Gospel, John 21, 18 through 19. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is where we see Christ restore Peter. But in that same reality, he still says, you will have a death like mine, Peter. This phrasing of arms stretched out and being led where you do not want to go was absolutely clearly being referring to the crucifixion. Now, historically and biblically, though biblically would be enough, right? We know that that is how Peter died. So again, consider the circumstances of what these men are facing. And then as we look at our passage today, see the tenderhearted encouragement and command of Jesus to these very men. And of course, then all who would follow after them. John 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus tells these men who have this great weight, this fear, this concern, this worry just resting on them. He says, take heart. Be of strong heart. Don't be discouraged. Let your heart be lifted up. And then he tells them why. Jesus says that he is going to prepare a place for them. Now, for a temporary time, they can't come with him. But they know the way to this place. Jesus then tells them that he will return to take them with him, and so that where he is, they will be also. Church, what an encouragement in encouragement. Man, I had trouble with that first service too. What an encouragement to us today. Don't forget the context, right? The, the fear, the worry, the weight of the situation that the disciples who were present with Jesus must have felt. And then apply that to your life. See the way that it connects so that you see the words of Christ and you do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus has prepared a place for us whom he has saved. Now, just as certain as his sacrificial death is effective for those for whom he died, and it will accomplish all that God intends it to accomplish, just as certain as all other promises of God are answered in Christ, Christ Jesus has prepared a place for us whom he has saved. The truth that Jesus has prepared this place and we who have been saved by the mighty work and grace of God will enjoy this place in the presence of the treasure of our hearts forever one day must bring us great comfort as Christ clearly intended it to bring these men on the night of his betrayal great comfort. Jesus ends his encouragement by telling the disciples that they know the way to this place that he is preparing. Christian, you know it too, or you would not be a Christian. However, what we see in the text, as we often do, there is confusion on behalf of at least one of the disciples in Christ's presence. When Thomas hears that Jesus intends to go somewhere and that he and the other disciples know the way to where Jesus is going, he quite literally responds with, how do we know the way? We don't know where. How, how can I know to get somewhere if I don't know where somewhere is, right? What road am I supposed to take to nowhere? And the reason all of this context is so important is because the weight of the moment for these men and all who would follow after is being met with the confident assurance of the Savior's return and the eternal home that he has prepared. Not only this, but we see the command to be of good heart in dark circumstances, which was given by our Savior and Lord who died in our place to remind and assure us that we have an eternal home with him. As we dig into this today, Christian, consider what it is in this temporary life with which we live that is weighing you down. What is 
causing you concern and fear. And take heart, little children, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, take heart. Jesus will bring you home to a place he has prepared. And this temporary life with all of the weighty battles and all of the glorious blessings will be nothing in comparison to that day and forever after. See, Thomas was confused because he was literally thinking of earthly and temporary things, right? Thomas seems to be truly worried that since he does not know where the Father's house is located, that he doesn't know the path to take to get there. How can I get to you if I do not know where you are? And that's how we see Thomas respond. Think of it this way. If someone you dearly love is somewhere in this world and you long to be with them more than anything else, but you do not know where they are, then you cannot know the way to get to them. What road do you take? What path do you travel? I don't know where they are. If your leader and Lord is telling you that he is going away and preparing a place for you there, and that you know the way, though you did not understand where the destination was, this could very well be just as confusing for you, right? And obviously it was for Thomas. Now, none of what Jesus is saying is really going to make any sense unless you see that he is not speaking of an earthly place. And that's really easy for us to understand on this side of the cross, right? We, we have the fullness of that picture. And so when we read Scripture, we go, well, duh, he's not talking about a literal place like in Jerusalem for Thomas and the disciples to go. But it wasn't that clear for Thomas, right? He isn't seeing the fullness of that picture that we get at this point in history. So with that context laid out, remember the response of Jesus which will be our focus this morning, that it is primarily referring to heavenly, eternal things and not temporary, earthly things. I really just have one main point for you this morning from the text that I want to focus on. For clarity's sake, there is, like, you can do lots of sermons from this verse, right? The way, the truth, the lot, like, lots. But I really want to hone in on the reality that Jesus is our mediator. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Thomas told Jesus that he and the other disciples, though we don't know if all of them were confused, but it seems as as though maybe some of them were because Thomas says it. He says, we don't know the way because we don't know where the Father's house is located. And when Jesus declares that he is the way, then then he restates this as an emphasis at the end of the verse. He's really aiming to draw their attention to that main point. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. Think about all that Jesus said he was going to do and where he said he was going to go. In John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to the Father He's preparing a place for his disciples in the house of his father. He tells them to take heart, that that he would come back and take them with him one day. But most importantly, notice in verse 1, Jesus says, Believe in God, believe also in me. Before all 
that he shares about a heavenly home, an eternal place, and his return, he lays the foundation of faith in God. Now, for clarity's sake, this statement was not at all said so that you would understand that Jesus was not God. Don't be fooled by false teachings that come to this passage and go, why would he say believe in God and believe in me if he is God, right? He was reminding the disciples whom they must put their faith in, their belief in. In fact, when we understand that properly, we see more clearly that when Jesus said believe in God, believe also in me, he's making himself equal with God. He doesn't say believe in anybody else or anything else, right? He's believe in God, believe also in me. There's multiple pieces to this reality that Jesus is the only way to the Father. No one will be going to the place Christ prepared apart from the work that Jesus is literally about to do in the time frame of our passage. So he's, he's telling them, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. It's happening now. It's happening now. The betrayer left. But take heart. I'm preparing this place. I will come back. You know the way. Believe. Believe in God. Believe in me. You see, apart from faith in Christ and the work that he is about to finish in the context of the passage, no one would be saved. See clearly that Jesus is encouraging his disciples because he is about to be murdered on a Roman cross. The men are about to see their Savior killed, and it will strike great fear and concern within them, as we see the Scriptures tell us that it did. Christ's sacrificial death had to take place, though. And as the Scriptures show us, these men are given greater understanding after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' death had to take place because the Scriptures are also clear that the wages of sin is death. Therefore, we will either die in our sins and be properly or justly sent to eternal death, or we will have our sins paid for by the sacrificial death of Jesus on our behalf. Jesus is the only way that mankind has to be reconciled to God. Church, see also the emphasis of Jesus to his beloved disciples. He, he declares to them that they know the way and that he is it. He says, you know the way. I am the way. You, you, you know it? It's me. I've, I've been telling you you know me. You know who I am. That's why you are here. And I am the way to the Father. There is an eternal house of God. In the Father's house, there are many rooms that Jesus has prepared for his disciples. His disciples know the way to this house because it is through Jesus himself. He is the way. And Jesus is telling the disciples that the, the path, the road, the, the trail that leads to the Father's house is literally Jesus himself. The road that must be taken is paved by the blood and body of of Jesus, and it is sealed by the resurrection of Jesus. What Jesus will do shortly after this conversation will secure salvation and eternal life for all 
who believe, those before Christ and those after. So picture it like this. There is a path, there is a road, a way that leads you to God and eternal life. But it is not like any road or path that you've been on before. It's not like the roads that you took to get here to the church this morning. It is a road that you cannot literally see currently, though one day you will. You can only go down that road by believing in Jesus. Now, obviously this believing is not literally in some invisible road, right? It's not earthly things, temporary things that we're talking about here. Believing is believing in Jesus who died to save sinners and reconcile them to God. You see, the road you need most in your life is the road of salvation paved in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. If you have to drive a road to get to God, the road would be called faith in Jesus. Or at at the risk of sounding cheesy, Jesus way, right? That's the only road. It's the only path. It's the only trail. It is the only way that leads to salvation and eternal life with God. Faith in Jesus is the way that we get to God and eternal life with Jesus. There is no other way to God. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other way to eternal life. The only way to the Father's house and the rooms that Christ has prepared for those whom he died for is by driving the road of faith in Christ Jesus. All other options are washed out roads with sudden cliffs and dead ends leading you to death. There's no road to life besides Christ. There's no way to God but through Jesus. Jesus himself has declared this to be fact. I am the way, declared Jesus. No one comes to the Father but through me. Church, Jesus knows the words that his disciples need to be reminded of. He knows that they need to be reassured of their certain salvation in him. Jesus declares to be the only way, and then he declares to be the truth and the life. He didn't just say what I'm telling you is truth. He declared that he himself was truth. All that Jesus said and did was truth. Jesus didn't just say things that were true. He is our source of truth. Apart from him, we would not have any truth. Imagine what a world like that would look like, right? Church, Jesus is truth. What he has revealed to us about God the Father is truth. Therefore, what Jesus has revealed about preparing a place for those whom he saves is truth. All of God's promises are answered in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1, 19-22 For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
we who have been given faith may wonder at times, due to our human weakness, our frailness, if all of this is true. Jesus, who is truth, has declared it to be so. And we must, in faith, believe that it is true. When we were at uh, summer camp, Pastor Matt got to teach one of the the lessons, actually the lesson right before mine, and um, he said it this way, and he emphasized it and repeated it, and it was such a blessing to me that I wanted to quote what he had said. He told the students, he said, we need to know the one true God and his promises upholding and sitting upon our saving faith in Jesus alone. Upholding and sitting upon God's promises. Upholding and sitting upon our faith in Jesus alone. Now consider the believer, the one who is saved by the grace of God, giving them faith in Christ alone. We still struggle in our desires for various things, right? Yeah, first service didn't give me an amen there either, but I know, it's, I know, I know. We struggle with our desires for various things. Some of those things that we desire are good, but we over-desire them, right? And therefore it is sinful. And some of those things are sinful desires that the old self, our flesh, wants, and we have to do battle with that self, right? However, for the believer, ultimately... We find our rest and our satisfaction in Jesus alone. We know Jesus now, and we know what he has done, and we know because of it, we have nothing to fear ahead of us. No struggle, no suffering, no loss, no torture, no death can separate us from the one we love the most, Jesus. This means we have a rock-solid foundation under our feet in this life now. It's not some future foundation that we're standing upon. We're there now. This does not mean that we don't suffer or hurt or struggle What it means is that when we do, we have a Savior who has removed condemnation, the condemnation that we deserve for our sins. And so we struggle with hope even in the darkest hours of life. Consider all the promises of God as answered in Christ. All of those promises are yours in Jesus. Therefore, any season of life that you find yourself in likely has a promise from Scripture, from God, who is truth and cannot fail to bring that about. And no matter what goes on in this life, you have a hope, a foundation upon which you stand. And even in death, Christian, you are gaining, not losing. Do you get that? Gaining. And this is eternal life in Christ This is a foundation for us who know the way. Church, lean in and and hear this well. There is a reality about Jesus as our mediator that we must not forget. 
I myself and many who I've grown with or even discipled over the years have missed this in ways that made our life and our faith more difficult than it could have been. A false understanding of Jesus as the way to the Father can lead even the believer to various struggles or false views of God. Jesus declared that he is the way to God the Father and eternal life. He then restates this truth by saying, No one can come to the Father but through me. And oftentimes I think we consider this as believers and we go, Well, yeah, of course. I could never have saved myself. That's why I'm a Christian. That's why this is good news to me, right? I know I can't save myself. I know I'm desperate for Christ. I know I needed him for salvation. We say the only way to God, the only path to eternal life is faith in Jesus. We know this. But believer, this statement goes much further than simply the starting point of faith. I'm curious if any of you have ever wondered why some of us who teach or preach when we end our prayers, we say it is because of Christ that we can pray. Now, most people simply say, in Jesus' name we pray, right? Uh, That's what I had done all of my life. That's what I'd I'd heard everybody in my church and my family do. And, And to be very clear, that is absolutely acceptable. Like That's okay. It's a good thing. So long as you understand why you're doing that, right? However, I wonder if any of you have ever picked up on the reason that many of us also say in the closing of our prayer that it is because of Christ that we can pray. You see, we do this because if not for Jesus being our mediator, our way to God, we would have no hope in prayer, no hope in communion with God, having a right relationship with the Father. You see, Christian, we don't simply need faith in Jesus to be saved, though that is true. We do most certainly need faith in Christ to be brought back into a proper relationship with God. But we need Jesus to intercede for us every day, all the time, to have a right relationship with God. Even after faith, Jesus is our mediator. He is the go-between. I can pray to the Father and I can do so confidently knowing that I'm communicating to him and that he is hearing me because of what Jesus has done to make right my relationship to God. I ruined that relationship with sin. Jesus died and paid for that sin with his own blood. And so now, through Jesus, I am able to go to the Father with confidence Because of Jesus' intercession, his interceding for me, he is my mediator. Hear this, Christian. I know I am right with the Father even when I go to him to confess sin. I know I am right with the Father because of what Jesus has done. That was only healed by the blood of Jesus. My relationship was only fixed by him. I may feel great sorrow for my sin, and that's right, that's fitting. I should hate it. It should bother me. I may also feel great joy in my victories, but my sinful sorrow or my joyful obedience, 
has nothing to do with my union with the Father. Rather, Jesus has everything to do with it. No one can come to the Father but through Jesus. So practically speaking, let me unpack it like this. We as believers tend to forget that it is only through Jesus, our mediator, that we get access to or, or that we have a right, reconciled relationship with God the Father. Uh, we remember that it is only through Jesus that we can be saved, but we forget about applying that to the in and out of every day after that. And I can, I can prove it to you. When you have struggled with sin, perhaps you've lost your battle with sin and you've done it for some period of time, maybe weeks, months, maybe years. Christian, believer, why do you struggle to go to God in prayer? Is it because you think somehow by what you've done, you've affected the relationship between you and God? Let me state this in a positive sense. Do you think you have a closer relationship with God when you are walking in righteousness? When you are really doing good at obeying God's commands, when you're really enjoying Him, do you think He's perhaps more eager to hear your prayers? Are you tempted to think that God is closer to you in those seasons than when you are struggling? Christian, we must get this right. Our union, our relationship, our communion with God is not through what we do, good or bad. It is only, always, all the time, through Christ. Now, indeed, there are many blessings in our faithful obedience to God, right? There are many blessings. God, God gives us those blessings in our obedience, and it's a very sweet thing. And there are also many consequences for the believer who sins. Sin has consequences. However, for the believer you will not find those consequences as condemnation. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 We also know from Proverbs that the prayers of a righteous person the Lord hears, but the Lord is far from the wicked. Christian, are you tempted to think that you are in the class of the wicked when you are struggling with your sin? You are not. You are saved by your faith in Christ Jesus alone. And the only one who is righteous, who the Lord hears, are those who are saved by grace through faith. Not because they're obeying well, and not because they're failing in their struggle against sin, but because of Christ. So take heart. The Lord hears the prayers of the righteous person. You are righteous because of Christ. We have learned well from 1 John that we all still sin. John said, if you have no sin, if you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. You're a liar. Well, when we who have faith in God are saved by grace through this faith, we are reunited to a right relationship through the blood of Jesus alone. We only get to the Father through Jesus let me say this another way, Christian. The finished work of Christ Jesus, our mediator, which is the grounds for salvation through faith because of Jesus, wasn't simply step one 
in making our relationship with God proper again. It is indeed step one. However, it is every single step of our life after that until the Lord calls us home. He doesn't just start us here and then we better figure this part out. We go to the Father here, 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 all the way down through the Son alone. Christian, you have no greater connection when you are obeying. You have no lesser connection when you are in sin. Oh, we indeed feel different when as believers we are losing our battle against sin. And that is because there are consequences for sin, and this feeling of distance is one of them. However, what pulls you up out of that sinking sand is the true reality that you were only made right by the blood of Christ. You are connected to the Father through him. It was not your obedience connecting you, so when you're failing to obey, you're not losing your connection. The temptation from the evil one, from the deception of sin, is to get you focused on your failure. Stay there. Instead of looking to your Savior, who was the only way to the Father from beginning to end. Consider it in the positive sense. What good things can you do to draw yourself into a more right relationship with the Father than the perfect things that Jesus accomplished already? Or negatively put, what sin will you commit, Christian, that can remove you from a right relationship you have with the Father through the blood of his very own Son, which Jesus poured out to cover and pay for your sin? Do you see how our faulty views can be when we forget that our union to God is through the Son from start to finish? Your union with God is never through your good deeds or your failures. Jesus is our mediator in every and all circumstances. And trust me, Christian, we want it that way. We don't want the other option. We don't want Jesus to to pay for our sins and then we have got to keep up the standard after that. It will go very bad for you, right? Your union with God is never through your good deeds or failures. Jesus is our mediator in every and all circumstances. In Spurgeon's sermon on John 14.6, he declared it this way, There is no part of the Christian's experience in which a Christian can deal with God otherwise than through Christ. At the beginning, it is all through Christ. In the middle, it is all through Christ. And at the end, it must be the same. Even if it were possible for you, fellow believer, to be clean and rid yourself of sin, yet you could not come to God except through Christ. When your faith shall grow into assurance, when the follies of your life shall be all removed, when your character shall be truly saintly, when your heart shall be perfectly sanctified, even then the means of access and the mode of acceptance of your soul before God will remain unalterable and unchanged. Jesus, 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 the path for the sinner and the way for the saint. No road to God, even for the holiest 
man. No road to God's acceptance but through Jesus and Jesus only. You see, when we forget these truths, we allow the deceitfulness of sin and the scheme of the evil one to persuade us that we have either failed again and in such a way that we may not really belong to God or that we are doing so good and we are so righteous and we can go to the Father on our own behalf. Look at all we've done. Perhaps he even owes us. Consider all the ways I've served, Lord. Of course I deserve better than this. And both of these views are false. They're false because they misunderstand our union with God through Jesus alone. And I personally have found myself in both of these circumstances in my life. I have complained to God from a hospital bed at a very young age dealing with heart issues that I deserved better than he ordained for me in that moment. Lord, I've been serving you all these years. I've been pouring my heart and my life and my time out for these youth who I love. I've been doing all of these things. Why am I here? I deserve death for my sin, nothing else. And I've avoided God while drowning in my sin as if it were my deeds that could ever make me right in the first place. Instead of fleeing to him, I fled from him. Surely he can't accept me now. Well, why did he accept me before? It wasn't because of me. It was because of Christ. Christian, you must see this truth this morning. You are desperate for Jesus always. No one can come to the Father in any sense apart from coming to him through Jesus. We don't just need Jesus for salvation. We need him for daily communion and relationship with God. We need him every moment of our life to be our mediator. Whether we are struggling with sin or doing really great in obedience, we need our mediator, Jesus, all the time. In 1 John 2, 1-2, John says, My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. So, so I'm writing these things so that you won't sin, but if you sin, you have a mediator. Did you forget? It's Christ Jesus. Don't flee because you're in sin. You have the mediator. Run to him. I want to try to close with the restating of what we've seen in our text and why it is so amazing for us to consider. Jesus is wanting to bring comfort to his disciples in this dark hour, this like fearful unknown about what's to happen. And in doing so, he tells them to not let their hearts be troubled, to believe in God and to believe in him. He then says, I'm, I'm going to the Father's house. There's, there's all of these rooms that I'm going to prepare for you. And I will return for you one day. I'll bring you to where I am. You will be there with me. And by the way, you know the way to get there. You know the way to where I'm going, Jesus says. He essentially tells them what he's been telling them this entire time in his ministry. He's the good shepherd. He's the light of the world. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the Savior, the long-awaited Messiah. And it is by faith in him that we are brought into a right relationship with God. Church, Jesus is always the way. I, I really... I, I pray that this awesome reality is a deep blessing to you in your walk. 
It was such a blessing to me. What we do with this truth is so critical. I, I want to address two people in consideration of this truth. First, those of you here this morning who may not believe in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. The thing that you are most desperate for in this life is not money, healing, relationship. It is faith in the way. Unbeliever, you must be granted faith and repentance by God in order to be saved. Apart from this, you will die in your sin and the penalty will be eternal death. I don't have to convince you that you're a sinner. You know your sinfulness all too well. The very things that you get mad at others for doing are the very things you do, right? Your own moral compass convicts you of your failure. Sinner, you cannot even live up to your own standards of righteousness. Therefore, you must know that you do not live up to God's perfect standards. And God takes sin very seriously. If he required the death of his own son to pay for it, why would you think that you might have some other way to be made right with God apart from faith in him? You can't. Unbeliever, hear me this morning. It is not true that you have no way to God. It is not true that you must die in your sin and that you have no other option. It is true that there is only one way to God, and that is through faith in Jesus who died to save sinners like me and like you. And so repent and believe and turn to Christ. Flee to him. Turn from your sin this morning. Don't remain there. You don't have to. Don't be at enmity with God. Now, believer, what ways have you forgotten that Jesus was not just the beginning of your right relationship to God through faith, but that he is the only way we ever, from start to finish, go to the Father? Do not let your shortcomings keep you from God as if you ever had access to the Father through your good merit. Do not let your success in maturity puff you up. And bring you to a place where you may be tempted to think God owes you or that you can go to him apart from Christ. Your faith, your maturity, your relationship with God is all owing to Jesus. As Spurgeon said, there is no part of the Christian's experience in which a Christian can deal with God otherwise than through Christ. At the beginning, it is all through Christ. In the middle, it is all through Christ. At the end, it must be the same. Even if it were possible for you, fellow believer, to be clean and to rid yourself of sin, yet you could not come to God except through Christ. When your faith shall grow into assurance, when the follies of your life shall be all removed, when your character shall be truly saintly, when your heart shall be perfectly sanctified, even then, The means of access and the mode of acceptance of your soul before God will remain unalterable and unchanged. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The path for the sinner and the way for the saint. No road to God. Even for the holiest man. No road to God's acceptance but through Jesus 
and Jesus only. I truly hope that you will consider these things. If you are here this morning and you have not turned from your sin and your self-reign to God in true faith, it really is my earnest prayer that you would do so this very hour. I also pray for you, believer, what a blessing this truth is. I pray that if you've forgotten about the desperate need you have of your ever-constant mediator, that you would be reminded and renewed in a sense of your right relationship with God through Jesus alone. Unbeliever, flee to Christ for salvation. Christian, when you sin, fly to the Father through Jesus who is your mediator. Christian, when you're tempted to hope in your obedience, remind yourself your obedience will never equal Christ's obedience. Why would you ever want it differently? Go to God through Christ Jesus' perfect obedience. Jesus, our mediator. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Praise God for this church. Let's pray. Father, the awesome reality that your Son has united us to you through himself, through his finished work, through faith in his finished work, needs to pour into every area of our hearts. When we as believers are tempted to forget that, when we are so focused on the things that we are doing, good or bad, stir our hearts. Would your spirit stir our hearts to remind us of this reality? Would we fly to you when we are in sin? Would we humble ourselves when you are blessing us with great obedience? And would your spirit convict the hearts of those here this morning who have still not turned from their sin unto your son? Oh, would it be so that you would save their soul this morning? Father, we are so blessed. We are so undeserving and we are so thankful for all that you have done especially for your Son, whom we cannot deserve. It is because of Christ that we pray. Amen.